Hello, I'm Peter, and this is my podcast. Today is another installment of what I hope to be a series, um, and it's called Conversations with People, um, which will hopefully clue you in as to what this is about. So there's this idea that you should write every day or at least write on a schedule. Um, the muse finds you when you put um, in the time and effort on a regular basis, right? That's why so many people um, and places tell you to get on a schedule and write, because if you show up for the muse, then the muse will show up for you. Um, I tried writing three pages of garbage a day for a bit. I think it came from this book called The Way of the Artist, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and that writing three pages of garbage a day worked out okay for me until an old roller derby injury caught up with me. Um, and because of the continuous writing, I aggravated my rotator cuff and tore it. So just from the act of that longhand writing every day. Um, following along those lines, this conversations with people idea sort of goes maybe not hand-in-hand, but closely beside that idea of showing up for the muse. Like, and I, saying that phrase out loud, I'm not that crazy about it. But if you show up for inspiration, let's say, inspiration's a better word than muse. If you show up for inspiration, it just might meet you there. So, with that idea in mind, um, I'm talking to people without having a presupposed throughway or pattern in mind. I think humans are pattern seekers, and we like to enter into a conversation or a series of things and, and say, I'm going to pick out this thread from these disparate things. Um, and I'm not going to do that. What if I abandoned the idea of, what the supposed through through way or thread was, and just converse with people in my circles. And then, after the fact, we can pick apart the threads as we see them. Um, so I told Treden, my coworker who I talked to in this episode, about my idea of uh, going from my immediate friendship circle, those people I know personally, and then working my way out slowly to see how far out from the center of my own friendship circle I could get. So I'd ask Treden for a recommendation on who I should talk to, and I talked to Mel the other day about her genealogy. I could ask her for a recommendation as somebody who to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Treden, in response, says, oh, so that's a little like Amway. I suppose it is, but uh, without the scamminess. So today I talked to Treden about art. Um, art is a tricky thing. How do you teach people to be better artists? How do you teach them the tricks of the trade and have them also remain to be someone with an individual point of view who could also be an artist who supports themselves in the way of their own art? Um, we talk about a little bit of that stuff. And I think it was a good conversation, and we have more art stuff to talk about. So this is part one.
and uh, Tredden and I will schedule, schedule another time to talk further about this art stuff. So uh, here is my conversation with Tredden. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for talking to me about art today, Tredden. You're welcome. Um, all I know, so we're co-workers, mm -hmm. but all I know is that you, at one point, I know that you taught art, and I know that you worked at a museum. I think that's about all I know. Um, so I, I, I uh, was always good at art. It was the thing that I was best at, I think, in school. And even when I was young, it was something that, though it wasn't particularly good when I was young, it was something that I enjoyed doing. I spent a lot of time drawing, and um, and like by the time I got to high school, we're kind of forced to specialize a little bit, um, at least the high school where I went. Um, you know, like you had sports or your academics or... And so the thing that I was most active in and interested in was art. took a lot of art classes and... Um, and uh, there was a program in... I went to high school in Georgia. There was a program in Georgia called the Governor's Honors Program. And they... There's a application process and a a portfolio review where you basically as a high school student you get to go to college for a summer and take college level courses and um, and so as a sophomore in high school my portfolio was submitted by my art teacher for consideration for this program and I um, I was and I ended up being selected so I spent um, the summer between my sophomore year and my junior year in high school at a college in southern Georgia, um, taking art classes and I could take electives. I took um, music composition and um, cello as my minor. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, but I got to paint. Uh, made my first oil painting then I got because I'd never really been exposed to those materials and um, and life drawing and uh, so it was um, I think it was probably the first time I remember really thinking about like well I could have some kind of art based career and um, so I had lots of other ideas about what my career might be. Um, really interested in filmmaking for a while. Thought maybe that's what I would do: is make films. Um, but then I, I really liked sculpture for a while in high school, and um, figurative sculpture and uh, the materials we had in high school were just ceramics. So making like portrait heads in clay, um, something I enjoyed doing and was good at, and could see like doing that, like making portrait sculptures or um you made portrait sculpt portrait head sculptures out of clay in high school mm -hmm. who were your subjects when you did that um the the teacher actually hired models to come in oh okay um and so uh 
really patient people who let a lot of high school kids like measure their nose and you know, oh that's what you have to do to that like level with calipers and I mean, that's what that's what I did I don't know like not everybody did but yeah some people probably free-handed it yeah, or, or something. Yeah, but I was interested in trying to get the proportions right. And, mm-hmm. and so since we could, I just uh, used calipers to measure like cheekbones and the distance between the eyes and all those kinds of things so that my sculpture would match as closely as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I ended up, after high school, I went to art school, went through... Um, I applied to a bunch of art schools and I got into all of them and went to the one that um, had the best scholarship. Mm. Which Um, one did you go to? Kansas City Art Institute in Missouri. That's pretty cool. Um, And so I went straight from high school to art school and they told us at the kind of opening assembly that we that nine percent of us would would make a career in the arts they told you that at the very beginning yeah oof and every single person in the room thought well that's me wow you know i i'm one of the nine percent you know you're looking over your shoulder at the next person think well they're probably not going to make it but i'm going to make it i think i think they were banking on that you know like Mm -hmm. there were people that dropped out um the, the program that they had at the school where I went was um, there's the first year's foundation year. So every everyone, regardless of what you want to end up doing, whether it's sculpture or photography or at the time there wasn't a whole lot of media arts, like the, the computers weren't powerful enough to really make art or to make video, at least not that the school could afford. Um, so it wasn't a major, a standalone thing. It is now, but at the time it wasn't. So pretty traditional media. And, um, so regardless of what you ended up wanting to do, you had to take drawing classes. You had to take two two and three dimensional design courses. Um, everybody took wood chop. Everybody took black and white photography. Um, and so the idea being that everybody would have the same foundation when they went into whatever their major was going to be in their sophomore year. And, um, and there were just some people who had always wanted to be photographers that were filmmakers that couldn't draw and were so frustrated and disappointed with their product that they dropped out, mm-hmm. which was sad um, because... It was one of the disadvantages of that program to have somebody who had never really drawn before, but their photographs were great. They were able to get into art school on the merit of their photographs, but then have to like be at like I say a third third graders level of drawing, mm-hmm. and then to compete with somebody who had that's that was their main thing was a, was drawing. Were they compete in the way of of just classmates competing or competing. right i mean just like you're we're sitting next to each other and you're looking at my drawing and i'm looking at your drawing mm-hmm. and um and some of the instructors were pretty hard on people um because mm-hmm. there's man uh we didn't really talk about it as 
undergraduate art students, but um, I later got my master's degree in education and specialized in visual art education. And part of that training, you look at um, how, how uh, mark making develops. Mark making. Mark making, yeah. So there's, um, so if you give an infant a pen or a pencil or crayon, at certain ages, at certain stages of development, they'll make certain kinds of marks. It's pretty typical across the developing individual. And so there are, um, it's, uh, and there's a stage theory that's related to it. So like mm -hmm. stage theory, you have to kind of go through one stage to get to the next one. You can't leapfrog a stage. And so later stages of that, you get into, um, uh, I, like, I can't remember the exact word of it, but what I, I would refer to as kind of iconic mark making. So like, if I'm going to draw an eye, it's an almond shape mm -hmm. with a circle inside. That's an eye. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, doesn't mean that like, if I'm drawing you, that your eyes are almond shaped. Mm -hmm. It's just the way I draw eyes, right? So that's, so that's typical for, like, say, a middle school age child to be drawing like that. And so if you have somebody who's now an undergraduate freshman who's drawing that way, like, and their classmates are drawing, you know, in the higher stage of artistic development, then it's difficult to, and you feel like you compete, and especially if the instructors are kind of um, putting down the quality of your work or expecting your work to be better. Mm -hmm. And in art instruction, there are our people feel really strongly that all art is, should be drawing-based. Like, if you mm. can't draw it, then you shouldn't make it. Interesting, huh? You know, and so... That, it seems like that follows sort of a theory of... I, I, I don't know much about art theory. No less than you do, obviously, but it seems like there, there's some theory of art that um, is like the accident, the accident in creation adds to the end product, you know, like, um, there's that, uh, you know, something gets messed up when you're making a movie, but it turns out to be like a happy accident. And then you, that spawns like a new thread, maybe in a narrative or when you're writing, like you make an accident and, oh no, like that actually works. Right. But it seems like what you're talking about is if you, if you don't draw it and plot it out, like, then it, you need to make your your sculpture or whatever it is match what what you've already planned. Is that what you mean? Well, in some ways, um, mm -hmm. but the I think it's the the and I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but there there were art instructors that I've had that felt this way that. Um, that you're kind of a designer first, and then in order to visualize your design, you need to know how to draw. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there's a lot of um, like 20th century art and newer, you know, current 
contemporary art that it isn't drawing based at all, that it might be based in time or um, space or, um, you know, like film. You know, like there are lots of artists that make that the end product of their work is film or it's a performance, and then all we have, the artifact that we have left behind is the film of that performance. Mm-hmm. And so that's that isn't drawing based, and you can't really talk about it in the way you can talk about drawing based art. So in art education, um, there was a, a traditional vocabulary for how you talk about design and um, and then art and the resulting art and so um, when you either whether you work in an art classroom or you work in an art museum and you're helping people interpret or understand or make meaning from works of art that vocabulary is really useful mm-hmm. and when you're teaching art um, that vocabulary can be the thing you use to define your rubric, you know, like how is, because art is so subjective, you know, so it's not about, as a teacher, I'm not judging your work. It's not my opinion. If it's good or bad, it's good, it gets an A. If it's bad, it gets an F. You know, it's not that. It's like, I'm going to teach you these design concepts, and then I'm going to look for evidence of those concepts mm-hmm. in your work. Right, yeah. And so those concepts, those that vocabulary changed over the end of the 20th century because art changed. And like the, um, there's no way to talk about those time-based artworks using that old vocabulary. And there are educators who have come up with a new vocabulary for, um, for contemporary art. Um, the old one, still useful, but for certain kinds of things, it's not an all-inclusive thing like it was originally designed to be. But then you get into things like time and space and appropriation and, um, that uh, aren't as big a part of, say, art of the early 20th century or earlier, mm-hmm. um, which were all largely drawing-based. You know, so there's, um, you know, if you look at before the late 19th century, all art kind of looked like what it was supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. People looked like people. Sometimes they looked like specific people. Um, and so it it's, was fairly easy for people to interpret and to, um, and to make meaning from. Um, mm-hmm. But then if you have somebody who, who takes a can of paint and splashes it across the surface, um, you can't predict exactly how that's going to happen, what the output is going to be. And so, um, so there's no way to draw a sketch, you know, of that. You have to just throw the paint and hope you like what happens. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you just make more. Would, I mean, obviously music's not, music is art, but it's also not drawing base, right? Or would you, or would you say that music is also drawing base because you write out the notes? Well, but I think there is a parallel between what I'm talking about mm-hmm. with music and that like there's music theory mm-hmm. and there are people who are musicians who play musical instruments mm-hmm. that don't know music theory but can but there's still evidence of a knowledge of music theory in their playing or in their compositions mm-hmm. but it does, but they may not be able to read music 
or be able to talk to you about what they did in that established vocabulary of music making. Mm-hmm. And so with visual art, it's the same kind of thing. Like, we've got this established vocabulary and that, like the time we're in now, the art since art is changing, the vocabulary is changing and it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think that like with, in music, like with sampling and um, like that conversation has to be changing. I've never studied music education in depth, but I imagine the same kinds of things are happening there. Yeah. So kind of the long drawn out story. Um, So I, I went to art school and then after some time, I, um, well, after art school, I got a, a, a job working in a, in a company that made giftwares, mm. so stuff that you could buy in Neiman Marcus or in a high-end catalog, mail-order catalog, and um, it was decorative home items like uh, a wall sconce that you could put a pot on or a plant or candle um but paint hand painted to look maybe like an antique or um or like folding room divider screens with a english garden scene painted on it so stuff like that and mm-hmm. um my original job was to do the painting so just paint to paint the same thing over and over again because there's an order for a hundred of them or mm-hmm. and um and it wasn't machine painted. You painted. No, I thing. painted it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so there were uh, the the head of this division of the company did all the design work and taught me how to replicate his design. Mm. And then I just stood there and replicated it all day. How was that? Um, it was really good. I mean, yeah. that kind of work, I think, regardless of what you're doing, is useful in sharpening your skills and um, helping you um, develop techniques and maybe shortcuts that help you get to the end result that you're looking for. And art school was, um, wasn't about instruction, you know, like the, the, um, it wasn't like you that you came in, sat down, and they said, "Okay, here's this brush. It's shaped like this. It's shaped like this for a reason. You hold it this way." It's just kind of like, "Okay, you're gonna make a painting. You know, hopefully that, you've got paints and supplies." That's and what art school was like. Yeah, I mean, wow. we're simplifying it, but um, and so um, I was particularly. I mean, it was difficult to find instructors that wanted to teach kind of an academic in an academic sense like this is the this is how you make a painting this is the um so there was a lot of self-direction if you wanted to uh, learn a specific technique you had to kind of research it or know how to ask the question of the professor um and there were professors who who would teach those things but they were really prescriptive and so everybody's painting looked like that instructor's painting. And I had heard rumors that, you know, like if you wanted to get into graduate school and your painting 
was from that guy's studio, like the graduate schools all recognized it. Mm -hmm. And some thought that was great, and some were like, we're, we're not interested. Mm -hmm. You know, like we don't want a copyist, mm -hmm. which is kind of what he was training people to be. Was like, and he was very like, you need to buy this kind of pencil and this kind of pencil sharpener and this kind of eraser and this kind of paper. And mm -hmm. It needs to be this size and this kind of drawing board held at this angle. Mm -hmm. It's very, and I, uh, and I was young, and that was not like. It was the other extreme. Like one extreme was, today we're going to make paintings. And the mm -hmm. other extreme was, you're going to do it this way. And if I don't like it, I'm going to reach over and I'm going to draw on your drawing. Is that what you would do? Yeah. Oh. Um, and, and so I ended up leaving the painting department and going into illustration, which did, like, this is why this brush is shaped this way and this is what you can do with it. And... Oh, yeah. Um, and there was figure drawing three times a week, and there was color theory, and like all the things I thought that art school was going to be. Illust like, was illustration. But it was an illustration. They were training people to make commercial art. That's what, il quote, illustration right. is? Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so like the cover of, you know, a, a book or the box that your board game came in mm -hmm. and they have a dinosaur on it you know somebody had to draw and paint that dinosaur that's an illustrator gotcha okay. um or the cover of the atlantic magazine or the cartoons inside the new yorker those are all illustrators mm. and um i wasn't particularly interested in becoming an illustrator i just wanted the training i wanted to be able to draw and paint and i wanted somebody to teach me how to do it mm -hmm. and um, and so the still really interested in sculpture and uh, I actually went to Italy and uh, worked for two different sculptors wow um, in the summer between my my um, it was my freshman year in college and my sophomore year in college where at in Italy it, it, the town's Pietra Santa. It's a, wow. it's a in Tuscany. It's a uh -huh. kind of a famous sculpture town, and um, I had just written two sculptors in a magazine. Like there was a sculpture magazine. I went through, and I was like, "This is the kind of sculpture that I want to make." You know, like so. Yeah. I wrote to him and said, "You know, like, how did you get to be a sculptor? How did you learn how to carve marble? How did you learn to?" work in bronze and some people wrote me back and some didn't and one just happened to live in the town where my parents lived and um, were close by and so on uh, holiday break I went and met her and uh, showed her some of my drawings and she said well you know you should come to Italy with me you could be my assistant wow so that's that's what I did and um, it didn't um, so you know, I had a, a return plane ticket and more clothes than I really needed. And um, that that was in your twenties. I was, I was nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. And you went to Italy as like a as yeah, like an artist. This is the first time I'd ever been out of the country. That's and a really cool experience to have when you're nineteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then it, the, the story gets better because the, the artist that I was going to work for, her mother had a stroke 
and so she couldn't go oh. at the appointed time, but I already had a plane ticket. And she said, well, I've, I know this guy over there. He's a German sculptor, works in bronze, makes these heroic scale human figure sculptures, very Renaissance um, style. And so she maybe he'll hire you. So you can go ahead and go, and then I'll get there as soon as I can. And, but you could probably work for him until I get there. And um, so my plan was to go ahead and go to Italy, put most of my stuff in storage if he didn't hire me, and then just travel around Italy until my money ran out and then come home. And, um, but I met him. I showed him some of my drawings. We talked for a little while, and he, he said, you know, like, come to the studio tomorrow. We'll see if this works out. And, um, and it did. I ended up working for him um, six days a week um, for f about four months. And then, wow. um, and it was, you know, kind of a traditional apprenticeship. You know, like really like sweeping the floor and holding his rulers and um, doing whatever he told me to do. And then yeah. towards towards the end of the time, I got to do more. Um, I didn't get to work on any figurative stuff, but I got to work on like he he was making a crucifix, a bronze crucifix, and so I got to to lay out the cross and the. Um, uh, I did the lettering on the cross and uh, um, and so then got to step that through the casting process and yeah. um, he was making a bunch of them or just no just one just one and yeah. so he had already the body of Christ was already done and then I did the cross itself and then they were welded together wow. and then I did the the chasing the cleanup of the metal after it comes back from the foundry that sounds like that's such a medieval-sounding... <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. You, yeah, you helped craft this crucifix for a German sculptor in Italy. Right, I did that. Yeah, and wow. Then the woman that I had originally gone there to work with, she did show up, and so then I worked for her at night, and she, was a, she made marble sculptures. Um, and so, so I learned how to carve marble from her, at, in the evenings, and um, and then I did, and then I, I had Sunday off, and Sunday I would work on my own sculpture, and um, and I had used half the money I had to rent an apartment in this town, and um, it was a whole other un completely unrelated story to how I survived that summer, but um, I was a I'm continually grateful to all the people who fed me while I was there. But I was a very big mooch, and um, yeah, I would imagine so because you were by, you lived by yourself in an apartment in Italy at nineteen. Yeah, yeah, and I I wasn't making wasn't earning any money. Yeah, I thought originally I thought that I was going to get paid, but I didn't end up getting paid, and. Um, and that's you know it was part of it was being young and not but you know, I was, was getting all this great art knowledge and being exposed to all this stuff and working in 
in an art studio where artists had been making art for hundreds of years. Wow. And, um, huh. That's how old the art studio was? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, went back to the, to the Renaissance, you know, the 1500s. There were sculptors carving marble in, in that exact same space. And, you know, and some of them were famous. And, you know, Michelangelo had gone through that town, which I'm sure every town in Tuscany has a Michelangelo slept here. <laughs> little, little placard. But, but Carrara, where, where all the marble comes from, is north of where I was. And, um, and kind of the route to Florence, you had to kind of come down the coast and then cut over to Florence. And so... Um, it seemed to be the route that the marble took to get to Florence, which was where Michelangelo was working. And um, so, you know, I got to go to the marble quarries and like see where all that white statuary marble comes from. And it was a neat experience. So, kind of art school, that experience that, I mean, it's short, one long summer working in Italy and then having this job after art school where I'm like making stuff like an art factory. Mm -hmm. um, like I learned, I like learned from the guy who made the designs and taught me the technique so I could make something that looked exactly the way he made it and I could make it over and over and over again. Like I learned something about how to control brushes and control materials. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I had a job making art, you know, so like I was one of the 9%. Sure. Right. You know, sure. Who, you know, <laughs> wasn't very much money, but, um, but I really learned a lot about business and about, um, about, uh, about art, and um, yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah. we're running out of time. Yeah, so, you have a meeting in like five minutes. So we should. That's part uh, one. Part one. We can continue part two another time. Great. Well, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you.